Is everything okay? Yeah, yeah, just just did a lot of thinking for a while. Video Land. Gotta pronounce it right. My name is Adam Fairholm, and you're listening to the Music Video Land podcast, put on by your friends at FilmedInsert.com, the music video database. And with me, as always, is Doug Lusklinger from South Florida. How you doing, Doug? Super good, Adam. I'm a champion tonight. That's right. You've been waiting for this a long time. Well, not a long, long time, but tonight the Heat won the the Stackley Cup. Or what we is did. The, what is the trophy called for the for the for the basketball hoops? It's the um, Billy D. Williams <laughs> uh, smooth operator statue. Uh, is it shaped like Billy D? Is it like a really bad sculpture of Billy D. Williams' head? Yes, yes, yes. It is. <laughs> um, it's made out of uh, mashed potatoes, and um, they kind of just slop it, um, like oh, onto they the. They all pl- stand in a <laughs> line. <Yeah, they're> tra- <laughs> What what do they do? They all they stand, stand in like, like a cafeteria line with a tray, and they get the yeah. Slop. Everyone gets like a little like hey, congratulations. Here you are Dwayne Wade. Here you are LeBron James. Oh, but yeah, I don't understand what... basketball at all. But um... <laughs> no, but nor trophy ceremonies. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, that that will be my first and only mention of my of my of my joy over well, the over the Heat championship. Well, uh, we're continuing our, our line of excellent podcast episodes with an interesting interview this episode. It is with um, music video director and now uh, UCLA Extension professor David Herrera. And David is teaching a class right now, actually just wrapped up uh, this month, called Music Video Production Workshop. Looking at it, it if you're wondering, it's uh, class number 44741, four units. And um, he's teaching it, uh, you know, now it just ended the little semester and he's going to be teaching it again in the fall. And it, it is a kind of comprehensive course on creating music videos. Uh, we'll put the link to the, uh, uh, what do you call it, the syllabus in the show notes. Check it out. Um, there's speakers. Um, there's all sorts of really interesting stuff going on. So David's going to talk to us about his, a little bit about his career as well as the uh, uh, the the class that he's putting on, which is which is really interesting and pretty much a one of a kind, as far as we can tell, around the uh, internet or around the U.S., which is which is interesting. Yeah, I've not I've I don't know of any other schools who have a a class geared directly towards music videos, which is surprising to me because I feel like it's something that's been around for so long and like. There's always these little one-off classes that that pop up at schools. You know, some school has a class about the Daily Show, or something. And like, like it, it's it's a little odd that music videos haven't, you know, isn't isn't, isn't something that's more more explored academically like that. Um, so we're really glad that David is doing it, and that UCLA Extensions is doing it. That's true, and we're gonna have David on in the second half of the show. But the first half, you know, we talked about. Um, you know, it's kind of weird that there's not a music video course out there, and now there is. 
uh, it's extra weird now because we're starting to see little trickles of news come in that are um, indicating that now music videos are starting to become much more than a uh, just a medium for promotion for an artist single. And I know you saw this, Doug, as well. Um, this comes via uh, Videostatic, Videostatic.com, um, as well as Variety and a number of other sources. Uh, but the uh, National Music Publishers Association, uh, Music Publishers Association, uh, announced that it uh, had reached an agreement with a Universal Music Group, which is a you know massive company that uh, um, in the music industry, that they are going to offer um, member music publishers uh, the ability to share in revenue from music videos. Um, not only are they going to be able to share in music reviews going forward but it will allow them the chance to get a retroactive conversation compensation for past use of their musical works. Um, but I wanted to read one sentence in this press release, which I thought was really, really interesting. Um, and the guy who, um, where is it? Here we go. Music videos have become an important part of the music business ecosystem. They're not simply promotional tools to sell recordings. The, the agreement announced today is an important first step in resolving industry-wide music video issues. So, you know, we've talked about a timeline a lot of, you know, music videos being on TV and, you know, them being kind of commercial-like and, you know, playing over and over and then MTV and VH1, those channels being taken over by reality TV and a little bit of a lull, lull period and then videos coming to the internet and then not... As we've heard from many directors, and there not being a lot of money in it, um, and I just I thought that was a really interesting way to to word it that it's simply not a promotional tool to help sell recordings. Um, I think that it it definitely isn't that anymore, and 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 I think that in the cases that it is that it is much it is much a uh, it is a a much bigger part of the equation. Um, if you go back even to just last week with our interview with Daniels, um, I asked them about how um, premiering their music videos on iTunes and why that happens. And they mentioned that um, they're told that there's essentially a direct correlation to people downloading the music video on iTunes and then immediately downloading the album. So before when essentially a music video, you know, at most is maybe alerting the public of a new you know, album or single that's out, you know, now it is a means to bring the, the customer or the, per, the you know, the, the interested party in, directly to the place to buy the album. And so it's really like a, a means to bring them to purchase, not just something to alert the audience. So even when it is just used as a promotional tool, it is much more powerful today than it was um, even when MTV was like really cranking out high budget music videos, um, well, I, I, I think it's. Oh no, go ahead. Well, I thought it would be interesting just to take a, f a few minutes to explain what a music publisher is first of all, because I think it's this sort of press release is coded in this language of you know a lot of um, acronyms for businesses and things like that, um, and it made me refresh my kind of knowledge of music publishing and figure out who is 
getting the money and, and, and who is, you know, going to be benefiting from this, you know, deal that's, you know, going to be finalized uh, yeah, ostensibly cause, cause, soon. Because Video Static is like, yeah, I think uh, maybe you'll get a, a whole bunch of, you know, maybe directors will start getting more money. And, and I, I don't necessarily think that just because video publishers and songwriters are getting more money that somehow that's going to trickle down to the directors. Um, but yes, maybe maybe some some two minutes from Adam on what a video publisher is. Mm-hmm. I'll try to keep it short. Well, you know that, let's say you're an artist, right? And um, you are a songwriter and you write a song. I, of course, am. So, exactly. You have several uh, works of art and the musical musical genres, and you want to uh, get royalties from that. So the way it works is instead of you going out and going to a radio station or negotiating with somebody who wants to put it in your film, you pay a publishing company. And basically, these people get a, a ridiculous royalties on this, or um, a ridiculous chunk of that. They get like 50%. Um, they basically handle the kind of uh, divvying up of, well, not divvying up because there's not a limited supply, but the handling of, you know, uh, collecting royalties from various organizations that are using your music in some sort of way. So if it's played in a film, um, there should be synchronization royalties. If it is sold in a CD format, which is mechanical royalties, um, it also covers digital downloads, um, or if it is, uh, you know, played on the radio, um, those are performance royalties. So basically, what this um, they play it during the Miami Heat basketball game. Exactly right. If it's if it's played and you're not getting some sort of physical or digital copy of it, then it would be considered a performance royalty, as I understand it. So the idea is in this agreement that you know. When a music video is played and that song is played, then money would be going just like it would be on the radio to a uh, publishing company, and that publishing company takes their cut, which is traditionally fifty percent, and then hands the other, um, uh, you know, portion of that over to the people who are entitled that money from that song. So that does not include directors or anybody who are uh, um, below the line. Um, that's something that I don't think we've talked about that much before. Um, it's kind of a, a, a production term. You know, you're above the line or below the line. We'll get into, the, into another podcast because I'm not really uh, versed on that right now. Maybe we can bring in somebody who can – we have a few people that I think can explain that better than, than we can. Um, versed, on, versed on the line? What's that? Somebody who is versed. On the line. Someone who is versed on the line, correct. So, uh, so this doesn't mean that directors or anybody involved, producers or anything, anybody involved in the production, are getting uh, royalties from music video plays. It simply means that, I, as far as I understand it, that the artist, if Katy Perry gets her music video played a million times, and she's going to financially benefit from that. Well, yeah, some way or another. Or because because of the money that comes from Vivo, right? Isn't that what? Right. Uh, they. I think there's an the article in Variety specifically mentions Vivo as a company that turned a large profit. Well, a, you know, a fairly large project prof, profit last year, which was around 153 million dollars. Uh, when you think of you know, I'm not sure how that compares to a lot of in, other internet companies, but a lot of internet companies do not have any profits or really any monetization. They're just eating up their venture capital um, and then, you know, trying to make money through 
uh, advertising and things like that. So it. Uh, I mean, they they got their hands on, uh, uh you know, the exclusive videos of of a, what what to, I consider to be a a hot commodity on the internet. I mean, we I guess we wouldn't be operating this website if we didn't think music videos were some form of a commodity, but um. Um, or at least something that people care about, but um, I mean, they—they're, you, like you said, most most uh, internet companies to, uh, aren't turning a profit at all, let alone let alone one so large. And they're not. I mean, they're Vivo creates some of their own content, but the content that's really making them all that money is content that that they don't have any part of the creation of. Right. So, and you know, it in the press release, it specifically mentions the, you know, this is a first step to correcting problems with music video, um, uh, you know, creation and distribution. There's a classic article, and I, you know, I can't remember it off the top of my head. We'll put the link in the podcast show notes about how a record company or a band when they sign with a record company just basically gets completely screwed over uh, in terms of basically taking a, a loan from that record company and then going into debt for them, uh, you know, into debt with them, uh, you know, having to pay for you know the recording of an album and also the making of a music video. Now, this is from around 2000, so it's a little bit of a, of a different time. But, you know, in the past... And I believe up until now, you know, music videos were seen as a cost that basically artists sunk into promotion, I think. And so it's interesting to look at the language of this press release talking about how these are no longer promotion. Um, you know, we're going to start trying to kind of correct these problems that have happened with the way music videos get made and the way they get, uh, not the way they get distributed, but the way they uh, compensate artists. So, so really you, interesting where, news. Where do you think, um, like, how far down do you think that you think that money will will trickle? Do you think that do you think that it will result in 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 ultimately music video being a music video director being a more uh, financially successful job? Do you think that the budgets of music videos could increase as a result of this? And then so maybe. You know, maybe directors are going to get a larger cut of that, but ultimately, it's going to just benefit the budgets of music videos overall. I'm trying to figure out why Video Static thinks that this is going to result in video music video directors getting paid more. Like what? How they like how they see that that playing out? And you obviously didn't say that, so you aren't necessarily the one who would have to answer for that. But do you see it clearer than I seem to? Well, Stephen Gottlieb of Video Static said, my take is if you're somebody who thinks directors should be entitled to a cut of that music video money as well, this is very interesting news. So if you're someone who thinks directors should be entitled to a cut of that music video, previously, you know, people were not getting anything not in getting terms of, mom, yeah, music publishers were not getting any. So maybe, he, so he thinks that this could just be a step in the right direction. A, a slippery slope that maybe it'll eventually lead to also like, oh, oh, oh wait. Oh wait, this video is people love this video also because it's so awesome. Maybe but we should give the guy who made it some money too. I feel like that I don't see music video directors getting a cut of music video sales in the future because we're talking about this is the, the music publishers 
um, association, not anything else. So, you know, if anything, if people are getting or artists or songwriters or whoever is benefiting from these royalties are getting a cut of music video um, revenue, then that's just going to make music video budgets go up and then director's fees go up. So they're going to benefit in that way. So, uh, yeah, right, right. I mean, the fact that they're, it's like, like in paper, like written, acknowledging that music videos are now something more than just promotional tools, that they're a commodity, commodity within themselves. I don't know if the word commodity was used, but that's kind of, I think the appropriate, like it's, it's, it's a, it's something that's more than just a promotional tool. And so it's, uh, you know, the fact that that's being acknowledged is, should benefit the, the industry, anyone, anyone involved in, in the making of music videos. You, I guess you could assume that, but it's not necessarily true. Yeah. But again, it goes the above the line, below, below the line thing. If you're below the line, you get paid, what do you get paid to work on a, on a film? And that's it. You're not entitled, right? To right. But else. if it if it if it if it ultimately increases the budget of music videos in general, then the amount of money for those below the line players is still a it still it increases. You know, there's more money to go around in general for for you know, regardless of what side of the line you're on. You could be you could be parallel to it. True. Uh, I I I don't think it's gonna trickle down that far though, so we'll see. We'll see. We'll re- we'll bet. We're betting on it. Yep. But anyway, it's it's uh, like um, video static rightly points out. It's a very interesting step, and um, it's interesting it the nice. language change as well as the way you know these entities are talking about a music video. So I think it's um, we're seeing a little bit of a change here, and I'm gonna be interested to see in the next few years how this plays out. Things are changing. It is. It is. Uh, we should change our subject as well. That's what I'm. That's what I'm getting at. Cool. Getting at. I think we should change the subject to. I think we're ready. I think we're ready to get get into the intro view. Oh, nice. Well, we have on the interview doing something a little different. We're mixing it up a little bit uh, because we've had directors on for the past few shows. We're talking to somebody who is a professor, professor as well as music video uh, director. Um, but we're going to be talking mainly about his professorial duties. He is teaching and has just finished up teaching the first semester of a class at UCLA Extension called Music Video Production Workshop. And it is, if you take a look at the syllabus linked in the show notes, um, you'll see it's a very comprehensive breakdown of uh, both pre-production and also production and promotion and all sorts of different aspects of creating a music video, which is really interesting. There's not a lot of stuff like this. Um, actually, in a little bit of research we did, we can find anything in any other academic setting that is uh, being offered uh, like uh, Mr. Herrera's class. So uh, without further ado, let's check out our interview with uh, Mr. David Herrera. director uh, and I teach at UCLA. Uh, I teach their first music video class. I've uh, been putting this together for a while. Uh, they contacted me about it uh, about a year ago 
Uh, and, um, you know, I've been going out and gathering a lot of people to come to speak to the class and, uh, and, uh, that's where, that's where I met, uh, Doug. So you, um, you teach a course called Music Video Production Workshop for UCLA, um, extension. And I think it's still going on now, right? It's, uh, it's June 12th. So you guys have one or two classes left. Yeah, the, there are, there are two classes left, uh, and then it's actually going to be continuing in the fall uh, quarter. Okay, great. Uh, so they, yeah, they've just picked it up for the fall quarter. Um, it's going on hiatus for the summer, and I'm going to enjoy my summer. Nice. Uh, but then we'll be back, uh, and hopefully it'll be better for the. Uh, I'm planning on it being better for the for the second uh, time we've had this class. First time was a little bit rough, and we tried a lot of things out. And, you know, learned a lot from. Uh, the first session and it's going well so far, but I think it'll be better. Uh, it'll even be even better next time. So, well, this is the, I, I mean, this is kind of a one of a kind course. We're not really, uh, aware of a lot of courses like this around the U S. So you mentioned that USALA contacted you. Um, why did they contact you and what, and you know, were you thinking about teaching at that point or was that kind of out of the blue for you? It's kind of a strange story, but, when I graduated from UC Berkeley, I moved back to Los Angeles where I grew up. Uh, a lot of my friends from Berkeley were looking for work and, you know, staying with me. And uh, so I decided that we should probably have some parties and, you know, do some networking events and things like that and start to email each other. And, you know, a couple of our friends were at Berkeley were, you know, really tuned in with Facebook in the beginning and, uh, a lot of the social media sites, YouTube, Google, uh, all sort of all the uh, all the tech industry people as well. So they were sort of helping us to to integrate that into our parties and things like that. So we we grew very very quickly. Uh, actually, at first it was a little too quickly where we had to kind of we had to be a little bit more selective about who we kind of allowed to join the club uh, and sort of had to limit it to uh, industry professionals. But we still sort of, uh, you know, have parties and invite recent graduates to come out. And uh, we're actually planning an event with NYU. I also went to NYU. And I kind of followed their model for their uh, Tish West uh, alumni group and planning our, our events and, and sort of building on both their successes and learning from their failures as well uh, and volunteering with their group. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, somebody from uh, that club got hired uh, at the entertainment studies department there and uh, mentioned my work to a uh, lady that uh, runs the place and she gave me a call. So uh, I was, you know, tremendously excited. Uh, teaching, you know, for university has always been something I've wanted to do and, you know, um, it was something I didn't plan on doing until I was much older. Uh, <laughs> but uh, at the age of 35, it's not too, not too shabby uh, of an achievement, I'd say, yeah. And, and and so, what's the the day to day like in in a class like that? I mean, you you've got a class today. What 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 is uh what's what's going to be the lesson plan for today's class? Well, today's class is uh, going to be about uh, uh, distribution, and and we're having uh, one of the panelists from the LA Music Video Festival actually uh, is going to come down and talk about distribution. Uh, he works for Vivo, um, which is. Uh, the, the more commercial aspect of it, and then there's uh, Sammy from, from the LA Music Video Festival who's going to come down and talk about 
you know, her music video festival and, and promoting and continuing to promote the art of the music video, which is something really important to me and something that, you know, I've written about. There, there are a few books as well. At Berkeley, I actually studied a lot about the, uh, the history of the music video. I was always, you know, fascinated with the art form growing up. And uh, it was sort of the most exciting art form, um, you know, in the 90s uh, when I was really coming to my own and doing my own sort of art and things in the visual arts. So it was something I always wanted to try. Uh, got accepted to NYU Film School uh, when I was at Berkeley and, and actually got more into production. So the film theory uh, sort of style at Berkeley is, is much more toned toward uh, analysis, history, uh, sort of semiotics, and it, it's much more academic, um, which is a great preparation. But I guess NYU is where I did my first little piece, which I later cut down to a Radiohead song and put on YouTube when it was sort of pretty new. A friend of mine told me about it, and uh, it's got over a million hits now. It's gotten me a lot of work. It got me my first job. Uh, working for David Byrne and uh, a director named Bill Fishman. Uh, Fishman did a, a film called Tapeheads, which I loved. It was uh, very young John Cusack and Tim Robbins, who were friends of his from UCLA. And uh, they were, I think they were like around 19, 18, 19 years old. It was one of the first films. It was about music video directors, and it was sort of a satire in the music video industry. Uh, and uh, it had a lot of great uh, cameos from Don Cornelius and a lot of you know, Sam and Dave and a lot of really great uh, uh, soul musicians, rock musicians and things. Uh, but uh, now, he, he hired me for my first job. Now, you mentioned the Radiohead How to Disappear Completely music video, which is um, you know, uploaded in 2005, as you mentioned, kind of the early days of, of YouTube. And Radiohead's a band that is really known for, you know, after that kind of a community of people making music videos for their... Um, films that uh, weren't that you know aren't sort of officially sanctioned music videos. Did you know? Yours was one of the is one of the most popular and you know one of the earliest. Did Radiohead ever get you know in contact with you about uh, about that video? It's funny. I mean, I know a few people at EMI, and they've seen it and they love it, and they have. They're actually in their legal department, and they've never said anything about it. Um, <laughs> And, and never made any attempt to take. As a matter of fact, they're they're now collecting, uh, which is kind of strange, but they're collecting uh, advertising money for it. Oh really? Oh wow! Yeah, I see on the yeah, page so it's got the artist Radiohead and buy it on Google Play or Amazon MP3. I mean, it's kind of been adopted officially in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just by starting to collect money from it and not, you know, and not taking it down, which is what they always do to anything that's not official in the past. I mean, all these major labels do. Um, I guess I'm. I feel like it's sort of been adopted. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I didn't make it ever with the intention of of uh, having them accepted or not accepted. It was just a sort of a, it was an experimental film. Actually, it was about 30 minutes long. I made it at NYU Film School, and uh, everybody hated it. Absolutely hated it. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I almost got in a in a fight with my teacher a couple of times because I was doing it over the course of the semester as a project that, you know, I was sort of cheating and, and making the other assignments about making this video where, where it landed up being, um, 
something that took the whole semester. People were turning in like three minute films at the end. And I walked in with this canister, which was 40 minutes long. And uh, a lot of it was this kind of longueur, which is like this uh, funny new French uh, term for all these new, these new style of cinema that, that is intentionally slow <laughs> and it irritates the audience. Uh, and people you, love you know, that. It, yeah, I mean, no, people absolutely hate it. But there's there's this great uh, Chinese filmmaker named Zha Zhang Ke, uh, Zha Ke, who who I really got into at Berkeley. I was really into Chinese cinema at that time and communist cinema from China and things like that. So um, there's a lot of that influence in there. And and there's, Bo you know, uh, uh, Jorge Luis Borges, who's a Latin American author, uh, ideas about representation and reality. And and uh, I thought it, it, it landed up being a complete, you know, accident because I had been listening to that song a lot and I was like, well, it's about six minutes long. It has the same feeling as the film I'm trying to make. So I just cut it down and, you know, said, well, I'll just make a music video for this song uh, and put it up. And, you know, I, I just got contacted recently. I didn't even realize it was voted one of the best videos of the decade by Pace magazine. Uh, they misspelled my name and no <laughs> one contacted me about that, which happened about... I don't know. This was in 2000. So, uh, oh, wow. like, I'm sorry, 2010. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, that was kind of funny. The the concept of of spec music videos is is this something that you you would or and do recommend to your students because you've you've obviously you said you've gotten jobs based on it and it's gotten a lot of attention online or or do you not recommend going that route to your students? Honestly, it doesn't matter what I recommend. It's what the artist wants. They really determine. I mean, they still own, they still have the rights to say whether or not you can do it. I advise my students against doing uh, spec videos now because more often than not, if the artist doesn't like it, they'll have it taken down. Mm -hmm. uh, and and so, you know, and YouTube is is really, I mean, YouTube has become it's different from what it was in the early, the early days. It really was a kind of like a, it was a you know it was a kind of like wild west, and now it's just another corporation which is exactly kind of the thing that I was against in making that film. And Radiohead and Naomi Klein and all these things that influenced that period in, in the arts that we were all working on was, you know, really anti-corporate. But we've really lost. I mean, everybody's... There's still people who are really angry about that, and there's some people who have come to accept it. Um, but, you know, we live in different times now, I guess. So, so It is, you know, more than... That came out in 2003, so it's almost 10 years old. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the word. Well, speaking of different sort of generations and 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 things like that, it, the people in your class now are they are they college age? Are they graduate school school age? What kind of people are are in your class that want to learn about music videos? They're 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 actually across the board, but I mean, it tends to be like younger people. I guess everybody has these 5D cameras now and everybody has Final Cut Pro in a, in a MacBook Pro mm -hmm. and so everybody thinks they're a music video director but it's really not about being able to make one as so much as it's about why are you making one and that's sort of you know um, something I wish I had more time to teach uh, so I, I but I do much more about how to how to uh, how to make one uh, and uh, I sort of try to limit my 
pontificating about why they should make them. <laughs> well, you mentioned that you had some problems because this is your first time teaching the class. What kind of uh, problems did you run into? Well, there's always that, uh, you know, as, as far as uh, not making it about what I, what my aesthetics are, my philosophy are, but about making it about what the students want to learn. And that's, that's always something that any kind of art teacher will struggle with. Um, it's just a kind of a balance where you have to you have to meet them halfway in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's you know uh, that's been a lot of fun uh, being able to talk about things that I love and sharing things that I love in the arts. Um, but I'm, my thing is mainly with the class. I need to teach them the fundamentals. I mean, when I talk about color theory or composition, um, different ways of moving the camera, the grammar and the vocabulary of editing. Uh, and 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 really sort of how to organize and, and present your ideas uh, to an audience. That's more of what the concentration is uh, in and, the beginning. Yeah. And how much of how much of what you're you're teaching is is found in in the book uh, in the making in making music videos book that you use as the as the course text. Well, what I want to do is I want to have them all read that because. You know, that was written by Samuel Bayer's wife, the director of a lot of great music videos from Smashing Pumpkins, Tonight Tonight, for example. A lot of, you know, he's, he's a real veteran. So that was really written from an insider's perspective. It teaches you the way the industry functions. The reality is it's, the industry has changed so much that a lot of that stuff doesn't apply. But as a general rule, I want them to understand the way the industry functioned at its peak, uh, at, at its biggest point, in its golden age. And that's sort of what... That's the reason I want them to understand that. Because when they do come into contact with music video commissioners or music video representatives, they'll understand the structure of the industry. And it's still there. It's sort of the skeleton of what it once was, but it is still there, and they need to understand that. Uh, and it's, it's also very well organized. And uh, you know, Kevin Kerslake, who directed a lot of the Nirvana videos, came in, and he saw the book, and he was like, this is, the, this is an amazing book. It's perfectly, perfectly organized and presented. And he said he'd never seen anybody really articulate so much of that before, so specifically, and in such an organized way. And he was really excited about the book. Uh, so I feel like I made a good choice uh, in that as a textbook. But anyways, that's only part of the class. It is a workshop. I have them read outside of the class. We don't talk much about what they read uh, in the book. I do uh, kind of do a quick review about that. But most of the class is... Uh, sort of a three-part structure. The first hour, we always have a professional guest in that phase of production. For example, the first day, we have a, a manager, an artist manager, come in and tell them about how to pitch to them and how not to pitch to them uh, when they want to do a music video for one of their artists. Uh, and, and it just sort of goes on through meeting with the record label, meeting with the artist, every phase of production until you get to cutting, editing, you know, directing, producing, uh, so we'll have a you know have Kevin Curse like the director in for one day. We had Sharon Orek who produced a lot of the Nirvana video. I'm sorry, uh, Prince, Madonna, and uh, Michael Jackson's videos. Come in and talk about producing. Also some hip hop music video producer Karen Levy, who's done Ice Cube and Cypress Hill and a lot of really big artists. So we get more than just rock and pop uh, in there as well. Um, so yeah, I mean. It's just sort of about getting to finding the best people to speak on that subject and having them come in for and talk for 45 minutes and then ask your questions for you know, 15, 20 minutes. It sounds uh, like you got a really amazing lineup really there. Yeah, I mean, it's 
what's I've really been fortunate because the fact that this is kind of a one of its kind one of a kind kind of class. Uh, people are really excited to come out and talk, and, and I've been lucky to get you know some of the best people in the industry to come out and speak to the students. And, and actually, what's been amazing is that the, this you know these people have been open to staying in contact with the students, which surprised me because when I was starting out, they were pretty uh, snobby. And now they're much more open, which is great. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great change. It's good, it's good to see that. And, you know, for a student coming in, um, you know, having gotten to know in your first class there, is there something that they kind of assume about music videos or about making music videos that is completely, you know, wrong? Uh, no, no. Uh, I, as a matter of fact, I try not to impose any kind of rules upon the minds of my students creatively. I really want them to the opposite to happen. I mean, the problem I had at film school was the way they presented everything was, you know, a step-by-step, paint-by-numbers kind of situation, and it really pissed me off. And I can understand why anybody who wanted to do anything original would be really bothered by that situation, especially when you're paying so much money to mm-hmm. learn something. Um, I mean, I came up in the arts, in the visual arts, as a painter, um, and in graffiti art, we were actually we would go out in the streets and you know do graffiti and things at night against the law. Sometimes we would get you know arrested or harassed by gangs and things like that. And that sort of you know that our our whole thing with you know Banksy is now famous for this kind of stuff. But it was just sort of uh, we wanted to express something, and we didn't care whether the law approved of it or society approved of it, or even the gangs in our neighborhood even liked what we had to say. We were going to say it. Uh, at, at any risk, and that and that's sort of, you know, that's sort of where I come from, and the kind of art that I would like to see people have, you know, that kind of spirit and that kind of openness mm-hmm. about expressing the the way they really feel about things. I think I think a lot of times I found more that it's kind of depressing actually, was that a lot of the Berkeley people were even very Abercrombie and Fitch, you know, it was just sort of like. <laughs> They just kind of wanted to go along with everything that they didn't like. And, and deep down, if you really talk to them, they were like, no, I hate I hate the way it is. You know, hmm. It's sort of like that scene in The Breakfast Club where uh, Molly Ringwald starts crying and admitting that she hates all of her friends. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just the rea- that's the reality, but people have come to really try to impress other people and to lie to them, their friends and themselves about, you know, how they really feel. And, you know, the arts, that's what the arts is there for. So... Hopefully, you know, there, there's some hope in that, uh, in that my students will, will have something honest to say. I'm hoping they come out and do something crazy. A big, a, a big plus right now is the fact that Vivo does not, uh, I'm sorry, Vivo, Vimeo does not censor their videos. And they do have, you know, not rated and, and what, what you might say is X-rated content. Uh, and they, they do host that. So if someone really wants to get a lot of attention now, they can do something just crazy. On, on, on Vimeo online, and I mean, these videos, for example, King Fantastic videos uh, are, are, are really amazing, or Rad Omen. Uh, a lot of these directors are, are just doing completely uncensored videos for MIA or, or uh, you know, just doing some of the most interesting work I've, I've ever seen in, in the music video industry ever done because of the fact that MTV no longer has that stranglehold on what is allowed to be said, and, you know, Let's be honest, MTV sucks now. It sucks. <laughs> That's it's true. Stupid. We're not going to argue with you on that. And it, it's awful and it's stupid and it's obviously completely corporate now. 
uh, there were, you know, when it started off, it was something cutting edge, and now it's it's sharp. It's about as sharp as a bowling ball. Uh, don't so, give me, um, let me kick, let me kick my soapbox away for a second. But go ahead and ask anything else. Um, no, no, we like soapboxes on this podcast. That's that's, that's what right. we're all about. We provide filmed insert labeled soapboxes um, to all podcast guests, so that's you're invited to do it. Um, uh, but, but the only I want... problem is I would I'm, I, I get so upset I might break it over somebody's head, which is not something <laughs> you want to have to do. All right, but so anyway, go, go ahead. Give go it ahead. away. Um, and, and, the, and the final pro- the final projects for the students, the the yeah. final music videos are, are these um. Are, are these going to be, you know, quote unquote, uh, official music videos for artists? Is that what they're going to be, or or are they using? Yeah, yeah, no, I no, I literally tell them their assignment is to go to a club. I give them a list of clubs where to go and they, where they can go in LA and talk to the artists. Oh, wow, I mean, the awesome. Echo used to be somewhere you can go. You know, I used to, I used to go to the Echo and just buttonhole any of the band members that would walk by and say, "Hey, blah blah blah, here's my reel," you know. And you just, I mean, I re- I literally teach them like how to pitch and. And, and we do like a pitch session the first day of the workshop. It's like, this is how you present yourself. And don't be timid and don't be shy. And the worst one is the Mr. Cool, which is like, uh, I'm kind of an artist. I'm not really that interested in music videos, but I'll try it. You know, and it's like, don't, you're not Orson Welles. Just, you know, show enthusiasm. You really want to work hard and make a good, a good video. And, and bands will, you know, bands will be willing to do that. I mean, but it's sort of a joke where, like, in, in Tapeheads, that movie I mentioned earlier, Don Cornelius plays <laughs> kind of a sleazy record executive, and he tells, you know, John Cusack and Tim Robbins, if they want to make a video for him, he'll, he'll let them do it on spec. That's the deal he'll make. <laughs> and, uh, you know, on spec, which is the uh, MoFuzz deal. And uh, it's, it's, sort of, it's sort of a joke in the industry, but that's, that's sort of the way that it works, is when you're first starting off, you do it for free, and you do the best you can with no money. And... Uh, if it's any good, then you'll have something to show for it to the next artist that you want to do a video for, and maybe you can leverage that to get some more money to do a better video, and so on. And you just keep doing that. It's a very practical industry. It really is. I think it's important to note that after this interview, uh, anyone out there, because we, we've researched it and haven't found any similar classes out there, but if there's anyone out there who is listening, who is aware of or takes part in a similar class and is like, these assholes are wrong, let us know. Call our tip line, tweet us, email us, and uh, let us know. You know, be like, fucking, I'm, I'm, here, at, I'm here at Tulsa University. And I'm, I teach video 101, and, and they're not giving me my just due. So what's I'm, your favorite I'm, video a video that contains nudity? I'm looking at all of them right now. Uh, I mean, that's definitely not all of them. Um, my favorite video that contains nudity, um, man, they're all so good. I think that the one that, I'm, that I use there for the, for, the, for the slider image... It's a nasty video. It's a dirty video. It's a great video. Who who is that by? I can't remember now. Uh, it's uh, Sebastian Tellier. Mm-hmm. Sebastian Tellier. Yeah. Sites were really fast tonight for some reason. 
It's going in the right direction. Some of these, some of these uh, videos that contain nudity, I had to get like really ridiculous versions of them to have the actual version that contain nudity. Like uh, there was a trend in the '90s, rappers would have like R-rated versions of their music videos, and where they'd have them, they would be pretty edgy, and then they'd release on like World Star Hip Hop, like a version with like the same actresses, just topless. <laughs> and uh and and like the only way I've been able to find them is like with like with like subtitles in Spanish over top of the videos and stuff so those would be good 50 cent PIMP currently has the R-rated version but also has uh Spanish subtitles so oh, it'd be great for everyone to watch um so my audio is good now though we're good here yeah we're good I can I can hear you fine Good. So if the audio is good, then then we should get into picks of the week. Should we? I think so. Hmm. Okay. I can see your point. Um, you want to go? It's not, it's not a good thing to say after talking about music videos and nudity. Hey oh, hey oh. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> go. Oh, oh go, I gotta. Go. Uh, we gotta talk about this Katy Perry video. Uh, that's gonna be my pick of the week. Katy Perry, Wide Awake, director Tony T. Datus. Um, Katy Perry's Wide Awake video is just one of the most ridiculous videos I've seen in a while. Have you seen this video? I have seen this video, and I like. Yeah, you mentioned how it started, where she's it filming starts California. Really, it starts world. at a very ridiculous place. Yes, it, it, it always does it when they're trying to recreate like a shoot where it's always like the last shot you know and then the per- the actor's like that's a wrap and everybody claps like that's like the last shot um <clears throat> anyway there's this always happens that where this female remember it happened like in the in the early 2000s with the Britney Spears where she did all these things talking about how she's deeper than what everybody thinks she's she is um i can't remember all the songs that she put out about that but this is Katy Perry's little side road into this territory because she. It's like when it's like when Jim Carrey put out that string of serious movies to try to get an Oscar nomination. It's like just do more Yes Men movies, Jim. More Yes Men movies, serious. <laughs> anyway, of course not. Like like I hate. Yes, I love Yes Men way better than Eternal Sunshine. <laughs> significantly better turn for Jim Carrey in my opinion anyway this uh, you know this is one of those deals where um, Katy Perry goes very um, not meta but very self-indulgent and the video is her I guess I don't know falling asleep or kind of going into this dreamland that is a kind of a gothic maze and it is rife with very obvious metaphor imagery um that maze closes in on her and she pushes the walls away and then you get some of the same effect that was in the fireworks video with the fireworks coming out of her chest she throws up a signal flare um it's just one of those deals where you kind of see what happened to you know her in the press with the whole russell brand thing and which wasn't that bad it wasn't like she was uh, she got a divorce it's no big deal no big deal um and then she kind of like immediately had this whole like kind of PR plan. She pulled out of her pocket. She wrote a song about him, and um, you know did this video. But my favorite thing about this video is <laughs> the whole, the whole trope of like 
meeting yourself when you're younger and she uh meets this little girl and there's like a force field between them and she puts her like hand up to hers and she can't quite touch her and then she leads her down there's this great shot where she leads her down a hallway of mirrors and the girl's gone in the mirror it's just like every twist and turn every like corner of this video they had to pack so much obvious metaphor imagery into it that you just wonder um it's kind of what the whole idea behind this what it's supposed to be what you, the, the sort of takeaway is um but i'm always i always enjoy videos like this they're, they're kind of interesting when they're they're so obviously tied and so obviously in a response to uh, a public event taylor swift did this big big time in response to the whole kanye thing even though it wasn't her her fault whatsoever even a year later remember a year later kanye did an unbelievable performance of runaway on the mtv music awards uh, and toilet taylor swift did this just completely boring solo guitar song about kanye west and it was just a complete disaster so i think this fair is a little bit better than that but it's still kind of a really bizarre video um not great but i think it's something you should check out so that's my pick Katy perry wide awake and the director of this is Tony T. Dadis. Benjamin Bamps is the production designer. My man Bamps. I love him. Um, stellar pick Thank from you. Adam this week. Um, unfortunately for you, it'll be your 45th week in a row of losing picks of the week. Um, because... Mm. Uh, my pick of the week is by a band called Passion Pit, and the song is called Take a Walk. Um, hmm. This video is directed by David Wilson. Uh, David Wilson is a tremendously talented director. Um, this is the first mention of David Wilson on the Film Insert podcast. Won't be the last because his videos are very, very good. Uh, and it's highlighted by this one. Um, the concept of this video is it's kind of like a POV video of a bouncing rubber ball. Um, it was actually shot with a remote control helicopter, um, which I, I didn't know that. Those. Yeah, I, I didn't know that the first time I watched the video. Um, uh, and I, and I watched, I've watched this video like 30 times already, and it doesn't lose anything. On, on, on the rewatching. Um, I mean, I'm not going to kind of go through each bit. It, it reminds me of anyone who, who's been or visited uh, Central Florida, been to Epcot Center in Disney World. Excuse me. Been to Epcot Center in Disney World. Um, there is a ride called Soarin' where you ride over what's supposed to be California. Uh, well, what is California? But it's, it, you feel it's like a sim, 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 simulator ride and uh this video kind of reminds me of that which um <laughs> which it, it's uh which doesn't doesn't sound like i'm saying a good thing however sword is the only ride at disney world that i even still like so whatever don't don't laugh at disney world nor my high regards of this video or the ride Soren, for that matter. I think you should just check out this video and you make your own mental connections from it because everyone's going to love it who watches it because it's super great. Soren? T take a walk. Yeah, everyone check out Soren.
check out Dave Wilson's uh, Passion Pit video for the song Take a Walk because it was my pick of the week and uh, it's a really good video uh, despite Adam's unnecessary and and un, uh, unexplained giggles. <laughs> You're like talking about like a Epcot ride. This is just like I'm Epcot not talking ride. About, favorite I'm not talking, Epcot ride. Well, first of all, Epcot rides are years in the making mm. and this ride consistently, okay, if you get to Epcot Center after 10 p.m., or excuse me, if you get to Epcot Center after 10 a.m., you are waiting several hours to get on this ride, or you'll get a fast pass that gives you a return time of post 6 p.m. So don't scoff at Soren unless you've ridden it. You which... guys... well, I don't know why anybody goes to Disney World. You haven't ridden Soren then. Mm, I guess I haven't ridden Soren. Do a Yelp search for Soren. <laughs> Disney you know, World is on Yelp. Is Disney World getting hurt by one-star Yelp reviews? Uh, totally. You know what? You laugh, and you and 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 I don't care if it's uh, uh, if it's a if it's a stupid comparison because I like it's a great video. Like it's like you can't disagree. Well, I don't doubt that it's a great video. I can't wait to see it. Maybe I've already seen it. And I'm just being coy. Um. Anyway, we got to we got to wrap this podcast up. I hope it's something we said at the beginning of it absolutely made sense cuz even the, you know, even though we've been given this amazing podcast, we don't we have no clue what the fuck we're talking about. So I just wanted to get put that put that uh disclaimer out there for anybody who is listening. Yeah, it's, uh typically disclaimers go at the beginning of things. <laughs> you put this at the beginning of it. <laughs> we don't know what the fuck we're talking about. Tweets Twitter. Um, okay, don't don't follow Adam. He's got several more followers than me right now, and so let's even those numbers out, folks. <laughs>